This is a lengthy passage. It's a familiar passage. I have a short sermon, so this will make up for it, okay? (laughs) Matthew chapter 2, and just follow as I read from the New International Version. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi uh, from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it arose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people, people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem of Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I may go... And worship him. After they had heard the king, they went out their way, and the star that they had seen when it arose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. And then they opened their treasures and presented him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. And when they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there till I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So they got up and took the child and his mother... During the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod, and so fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious, and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity, who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. And when he said, through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled, a voice is heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. And after Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, get up and take the child and his mother and go back to the land of Israel for you... Uh, for those who were trying to take the child's life are now dead. So he got up and took the child and mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that, the, that Archelaus was reigning in Judah in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled what was said through the prophet that he would be called a Nazarene. This is God's word. Amen and amen. Please be seated.
Well, uh, we're wrapping up a series uh, that we began early in December on the coming of the Messiah. Uh, We saw the announcement where Gabriel came to Mary and let her know that she was going to be the birthing mother of Israel's Messiah. And then uh, we followed up the next week with Mary's song called The Magnificat. And if you ever doubted uh, the intellectual capability of Mary, uh, when you realize that Jesus borrowed some of her material in that song for the Sermon on the Mount, so she was an awfully smart lady when she sang that. And last week we looked at the arrival when the Lord Jesus Christ was welcomed by the angelic host. And today... As uh, mentioned earlier, we're going to look at the aftermath. And the events uh, in our text are going to center around the paranoia of a madman named Herod. You know, the Christmas carol, O Little Town of Bethlehem, has a halting line that recalls the pain that's inseparable from life. It says, Yet in the dark streets shineth the everlasting light, The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. In other words, darkness and fear mingle with hope and light. And it reminds us that real life is always going to be messy. Now maybe uh, 2018 was a tough year for you. I, I don't know for sure, obviously. But maybe it was. Maybe there was some pain. Maybe some guilt, some bad choices. Maybe family friction. God understands. He always understands. And so do, interestingly, Mary and Joseph. Now, verse 1 of our text lets us know that the events that we're going to be looking at today occurred during the reign of Herod. And that means that Jesus was born during a time of trouble because Herod was on the throne there in Israel. You see, Rome ruled Israel during that time. It had been incorporated into the Roman Empire. And Caesar Augustus had appointed a man named Herod to give a measure of guidance over that little strip of land on the eastern shores of the Mediterranean of Israel. And he ruled with an iron fist. Now, racially, Herod was an Arab. Uh, Religiously, he was a Jew. Culturally, he was a Greek. Politically, he was a Roman. But his mantra mantra was simply power and control. Now, he was married to a number of different women. He had a lot of wives all at the same time. And when he became suspicious of the only wife that he really loved... He had her executed, her two sons executed, and her mother executed. Now, with respect to personal greed, when it came to the the people in Israel, he taxed the poor right into homelessness. So this was a really, really bad guy. You say, well, didn't Herod do kind of a great thing? Uh, Remember 600 years earlier when... Nebuchadnezzar came and conquered uh, the nation there and uh, hauled a number of people into captivity in Babylon. Remember how the temple that Solomon built had been destroyed. Well, Herod rebuilt that temple. And that was a good thing. But the problem is he put on that temple a golden eagle, which was a a pagan-type sign at that particular time. 
and he, uh, uh, it was a symbol, and it, it so offended the Jews that it, one night uh, a number of Jewish individuals uh, climbed up on the temple and pulled down the golden eagle, and the next morning when Herod discovered that, he rounded up the usual suspects, if you please, not being sure who did it, but he rounded up the usual leaders and had them all executed. So Herod suffered from extreme paranoia. To protect himself, he actually built uh, a desert fortress on top of a mountain in the Judean wilderness, not far from the Dead Sea. Uh, we know it as Masada. It was, a, it was indeed a fortress. Uh, some of you perhaps have been there. Anybody been to Masada? Okay, a few of you have been to the fortress there at Masada. Uh, it was built uh, during a time when, uh, when Herod was, had a lot of paranoia. Some of you, some of you old-timers may have seen a, a little bit of a mini-television series back in the 70s, I believe, entitled Masada. Anybody seen that? Okay, you've seen that particular thing. Peter O'Toole was uh, the Roman general, and, and Peter Strauss was the leader of the Jews that were up there. And Rome spent months and months trying to climb up that thing and break into it, but they, they just couldn't do it. But when it finally came uh, evident that, that Rome was going to prevail when they built that battering ram, all of the Jews there took their own lives in an act of defiance. So Masada became a monument, uh, you know, that reflected the resolve and the determination of the Jewish people that they themselves would never live under oppression again. Now, when Herod himself was on his deathbed, he was in such despair that he tried to take his life, but a guard happened to stop him. But in the confusion, there, in, the, in the temple itself, there was so much confusion that uh, people didn't know that, uh, uh, you know, somebody kept him from taking his life. They thought he was dead. And one of the individuals that thought he was dead was his son, who in turn claimed the throne for himself. But when Herod found out about it, that his son had taken the throne, he had his son executed. Uh, so th this was really, really a bad guy, you know. And um, he actually died a few days after that. Now, one more piece of historical graffiti, and we'll leave this miserable personality alone here. But Herod knew that the nature of his reign uh, was so bad that nobody was going to mourn his loss. And so what he did is that he wrote in his will that on the day that he died, a number of prominent Jews in, in Israel were going to be rounded up and executed on that day so the nation would mourn even though they weren't mourning for Herod. So that shows you just how weird and corrupted this guy was. When it comes to corruption, he ranks right there with Hitler and Stalin and some of the other despots that have, we've known in the world today. Now, let's back up for just a little bit. Jesus was born during this psychotic time when Herod happened to be king. And while Herod was still very much alive, we're told that Magi 
came from the east, and they were looking for the king of the Jews because they wanted to worship him. Now, the king of the Jews for which they were looking, however, was not Herod, it was Jesus. And when Herod, of course, heard about this, he was very, very troubled. And he sought to, move, to remove the potential rival, uh, you know, eliminate uh, this king of the Jews born in Bethlehem. But he didn't really know which one of the babies uh, was actually the king of the Jews. So as we read a few minutes ago, he decided to send his Roman soldiers into Bethlehem and kill every child that was two and under. And they would break into a peasant home that, uh, who was powerless to stop them. And if they found a little baby boy there, they would take a sword and thrust it through his heart. And then they would, in fact, leave. So he, he killed all of them. But we know that uh, when we think about little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie, it really wasn't still on that particular night. Now, I'm going to ask you another question, and you're going to think it's kind of weird perhaps, but how many of you remember, were around enough when churches, particularly good-sized churches back in the 70s or so, did Christmas pageants? Anybody remember those things? Okay, just a few in my generation remember those things, where everybody put on a bathrobe and... You know, they were the wise men or the shepherds out there. And it was Robert Schuller of the Crystal Cathedral that took it to a new level. I mean, he would hook up cables to men and women dressed as angels, and they'd be flying around in the Crystal Cathedral and everything like that. But, you know, it's, it's interesting. The story of the slaughter of the innocents never made any of those pageants. And the reason is, is because it was so antithetical to the Christmas spirit. All was not calm on Christmas Day. All was not bright there in, in the area of Bethlehem. And good families lost their little boys to a despot. Now, how do you reconcile the joyful birth of a Savior with the bloody deaths of those boys that died that night in Bethlehem and the sorrow and the heartache of moms and dads that lost their child. You know, a mother weeping for a lost child is just about as tough as it gets. I can't hardly imagine anything worse. In verse 18 it says, A voice was heard from Ramah. Weeping and great mourning. And Rachel is weeping for her children, and she refused to be comforted. Ramah, as we read a few minutes ago in the text, was where the Jews of the Old Testament gathered before they were carried off to, to, to Babylon. And Ramah was also the place where Rachel, the wife of Jacob, uh, died in sorrow uh, at the birth of, of Benjamin. Uh, and uh, Rachel believed that her son, other son, Joseph, had died as well, even though he had not. Uh, he had escaped to Egypt. But the point is, she was so inconsolable that she couldn't be comforted. Now, Jesus survived because an angel of the Lord came to Joseph and says, Escape to Egypt, because Herod is gunning for your son. Now, there can be no doubt 
uh, think with me about the mothers of Bethlehem, that they had questions when they realized that the birth of Jesus cost them the lives of their own little boys. You see, if Joseph had been warned in a dream by God that God gave him to escape to Egypt, why didn't God give us that dream as well? Why does Matthew tell us what why does Matthew tell us about the agony in Bethlehem? And here's the point. If Jesus entered into a world that was smitten with evil and suffering, then maybe Jesus could enter our world in the midst of whatever suffering and difficulty and agony that we have to go through as well. You know, in the past hundred years here in America, we've been uh, smitten by two world wars, a number of genocides, uh, the introduction of terrorism and suicide bombings, as well as the heartaches of life that we all know about. And some of you have suffered some loss. Some of you have suffered some great loss. Perhaps in the last year or so, there's been an empty chair around the table that breaks your heart because the person that used to be at that chair, you deeply loved. And sometimes you don't even want to think about the Christmas spirit because it reminds you of one who is no longer with you. You know, maybe there's a a broken heart in your own life for one that's far away from God and far away from you. Maybe there's an anxious heart in your own self here. Maybe a chronic issue with pain, maybe a financial issue, whatever it happens to be. The one thing is, even though there's no solution in sight, is that we do not give up. Because Jesus comes to Bethlehem in the days of Herod the king. And that means that if he does that, he can come to you in your heartache and come to me in whatever my heartache happens to be as well. Now let me tell you another part of the Christmas story that never gets into the pageants. Uh, When Jesus is taken to the temple on the eighth day, there's an old man there named Simeon. And Simeon holds that baby Jesus and blesses him. And it's a very poignant and thrilling moment. Mary and Joseph must have been glowing at that point in time. And Simeon says, Lord, sovereign God, dismiss your servant in peace. I've seen my salvation. I've held my Savior. I can die a happy man. This is the old man, Simeon. But then Simeon has one more thing to say. And he turns away from the baby and he looks Mary right in the eye. And Simeon says that this child is destined for the cause of the falling and rising of many in Israel. And a sword will pierce your heart. And so Mary takes that child home, raises him, knowing that she's going to encounter incredible pain that will come. And Mary actually gets a taste of that pain every single year when she and Joseph and all of Jesus' half-brothers and sisters gather around to celebrate his birthday because it brings back a memory in Bethlehem that there were a lot of moms whose birthdays were at that particular time they celebrated Jesus' birthday 
But those children are no longer there. Very difficult for Mary. She remembers all the moms that believe that she and Joseph should have stayed in Bethlehem. You know, the reason my boy is dead is because Herod was after your boy. Doesn't Mary know that if her baby would have died, all of the other babies would have lived? Mary bears the pain of knowing that scores of moms living in Bethlehem are experiencing unbelievable heartache when she's celebrating Jesus' birthday. You know, it's ironic that Jesus' life uh, began his life as he would end it with somebody in power wanting him dead. You know, the Bible gives us several, several different titles of, for Jesus. He's called Emmanuel, Wonderful Counselor, Prince of Peace, Son of God, Line of Judah. But there's one title that Matthew gives and mentions over and over again in chapter 3. I'm going to read just a few verses and see if you can pick up the title that Matthew gives Jesus. Make careful search for the child. Go to the place where the child was. They saw the child and his mother. Take the child and escape from Egypt. See, in the ancient world, children were so fragile that uh, a lot of them never made it to adulthood. That's how tough things were. And Jesus happens to be God the child. Jesus is God made vulnerable. And Jesus is exposed here to all of the evils of the world. And every time I think about that, I think about, you know... When I feel weak, when I feel vulnerable, when you feel weak, when you feel vulnerable, even during the Christmas season, you know, we may not even have the strength at times to just look at life because we just can't resemble the, the picture on a joyful Christmas card in our own life. And Jesus has been there. God is still at work. And this is part of the dark and yet wonderful story of his birth. No trial, no expression of evil will go on forever because of Christ. You know, the next um, season of Jesus' life is introduced in verse 19 with the phrase, After Herod died. Uh, Matthew mentions that Herod is dead three times. Let me just read. Verse 15 tells us that Joseph remained in Egypt until the death of Herod. Verses 19 and 20 tell us that when Herod died, an angel appeared to Joseph and told him to take the child back to Israel, for the one who sought his life is now dead. Now, what does Matthew want us to know? This is not a trick question. Now, Herod's dead. That's what Matthew wants us to know. Herod is dead. Now, Herod could have been the one that welcomed Jesus when he was born. But he chose another path. The Magi came and worshipped the Lord. Herod came to destroy the Lord. And there's a question that we all need to ask ourselves periodically, and I do as well. And... Uh, and that is, which road are we on? Is it the road of the Magi that puts you on your knees? Or is it the road of Herod that puts you in your grave? 
See, at the beginning of the chapter, Matthew refers to Herod as the king. But the Magi came and brought gifts to the real king. They brought gold for royalty, incense for purity, myrrh, signifying that they believed he was going to die. Now, ironically, Jesus grew up. Uh, When Jesus grew up, his own people wanted to make him a king. They wanted him to sit on Herod's throne. Now, Jesus wasn't going to do that because he was a different kind of king. Uh, His own rejected him and actually coaxed the Romans to crucify him. You know, the thoughts of many are revealed at the cross. The crowd yells, crucify him. Pilate washes his hands. Peter denies him. The rest of the disciples run away, but Mary loves him. Mary is there. She ultimately sees what the women who lost their babies in Bethlehem saw. She saw her own killed. And we don't know what that did to cut her to the heart, but she stands there at the cross until Jesus breathes his last. She never left him, not even for a short period of time. You know, and as she stands and remembers that, she probably remembered the words of Gabriel to her when he was making the announcement about she being the birthing mother. He says, blessed are you among women. Well, she certainly doesn't feel very blessed when she watches her own son breathe his last. You see, Mary remembers the words of Simeon. That her soul would feel like it's been pierced with a sword. And so what Matthew does, and it's a tough chapter, but he, he shares with us the shadow that is hanging over the, 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 the birth of Jesus Christ. Now our hope is simply this, that because of what we saw go on in the Lord's life, it means that anybody who suffers... Anybody who sorrows just doesn't have to give up because our hope is tied to the good news that Jesus Christ, the child, is indeed the Lord. He is the one that lived a perfect life so that he could go to the cross as an innocent lamb and have the the Father take all my sin, all your sin, and impute it to Christ who died for it, and all of Christ's righteousness and impute it to us. Uh, And God looks at us with the righteousness of our Lord Jesus Christ. So he lived that perfect life. He died that substitutionary death. And he was the one that triumphed from the grave, rose from the grave, and he is the one who is coming back in glory to set things right. And until then, our call is to never defect, to remain faithful to our Lord and our Savior who came to bring us into his presence. Father, thank you for the Christmas story. We Uh, See the highs and the lows, the things that are so difficult and so awful. And uh, yet, Father, you chose to reveal them to us 2,000 years after the event. But, Lord, if we uh, enter into the ethos, we realize and uh, thank you for those stalwarts that even in the midst of suffering, 
Lord, they just held fast to you. And even in the midst of whatever heartache we happen to be going through, whatever difficulties, whatever troubles us, whatever keeps us awake at night, uh, Lord, thank you that you love us and that you've got a plan for us and that you're going to bring it to fruition. And we are going to be satisfied because you're going to be glorified. So we do thank you for this Christmas season. It, uh, it brings us really to the roots of our salvation. And it allows us to live life confidently. We thank you in the Lord's name. Amen.